0: Hello once again St. Paul. Tommy and I are joining you and you are joining us for our uh, podcast on Brennan Manning's book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. The subtitle of that book is Good News for the Bedraggled, the Beat Up, and the Burnt Out. We're on uh, chapter 7. Today we're going to be diving into this chapter. This is a great chapter, uh, Tommy. Just the very first sentence in this chapter reminds me a lot of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship. What Brennan Manning writes is, counterfeit grace is as commonplace as fake furs, phony antiques, paste jewelry, and sawdust hot dogs. The temptation of the age is to look good without being good. The reminder to Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book is that we have devalued grace. Grace may be free, but it was not free to attain. It costs the life of Jesus Christ to bring us that grace, to bring us that freedom,
1: that justification, that atonement. What say you? John, I agree. It It is a... A very revealing chapter that we see this in our society a lot, and as we get into this chapter, I think the audience will understand what we're talking about, but one of the things that just jumped out at me is, you know, what we say and what we do is is a dichotomy there, Uh, and that's pervasive in in our everyday lives and also in our Christian uh, walk as well. And we tend to rationalize our behaviors sometimes, and we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see, so we tend to cover it up with all kind of accessories and and obviously he mentioned here cosmetics, other other things that that tend to uh, mask who we really are. You
0: know what's interesting, Tommy, is if you think about our social media world where uh, TikTok and um, Instagram and Facebook and uh, you you haven't put anything on TikTok recently, have you? I wouldn't know how to put (laughs) anything on TikTok. But what's interesting is, is before, you know, if you take a selfie, that picture of yourself with your camera before you post it, all of these uh, apps, they give you the ability to filter it. To change the backlight, to oh, yeah. smooth the skin, to change the the complexion, to put a filter. And 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 when I was reading what Brendan Manning was writing writing here, and I, I couldn't help but think of the way that we do that in our social media, or people today do that in their social media. They want to be seen in the the best light. They want to, as Manning says, they want to be imposters. They 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 really want people to see something different. And then they really are. And then he, he writes as as he continues in this thought, he says, when we rely on these stylish disguises that have made us look good, they at least look away from ourselves. Then we are mortgaging and preventing ourselves from seeing ourselves as we really are. And guess what? He says we really are. Of course, rag muffins.
1: Exactly. In our other podcast uh, centered around the Celebration as a Discipline, that was one of the key features in Richard Foster's book about finding out who you really are. You know, how many times have Jesus said in the, in, in the Scripture, the truth will set you free? And we cannot be free if we are masking who we really are because we are in actual slavery to ourselves. And there's so many books been written on the fact of giving up the self. Who are you really? And when uh, reality sometimes is a very, very tough thing to accept. But I think if we ever expect to be free and at peace, we have to really honestly look at ourselves and take an inventory of who we really are you know the uh, manning says in order to be
0: free the captive must admit his or her captivity exactly and so this is not just as much as posing or being an impostor to the world around us this this chapter is more about being a poser or an impostor to ourselves that we have rationalized our sin. We have rationalized our need for God. We have doubted that God truly does love us conditionally, and we have kind of shied away from that, wanting to rely on our own ability, want to
1: rely on our own selves. Absolutely. One of the things that I was looking for, in, and he says if... Our white lies, if we were all convicted of that, we would be. <laughs> We'd all be in prison. We'd all be in prison. So looking beyond ourselves into in what's happening in our government, there's so much cover up that we don't know. There's so many lies that are being told. We don't. I mean, I don't know whether Dr. Fauci is real or not real. But you look at the the dichotomy in in all this pandemic stuff that we've been dealing with for the year. One does not know what to believe. Right. And <laughs> you, you know, you listen to the news, and I think a lot of people I talk to, they don't even listen to the news anymore. You start to get the idea of that there's a, this,
0: that what's more important than truth is power. Yeah. He writes, in philosophy, the opposite of truth is error. In the biblical sense, the opposite of truth is a lie. It is a lie. Is a lie. Exactly. And And when you think about the desire to to gravitate towards uh, a lie as opposed to the truth with the intention of either covering something up as a way of not being honest with yourself of who you really are you find yourself deep down wanting to control the situation control our the outcomes and i think we talked about that last week in the sense of you know freedom comes when we give up our desire for the intended outcome. He writes at the end of this chapter, talks about Caiaphas and and uh, Jesus before right. Caiaphas. And the decision of the Jews, it's easy to to gravitate towards, the decision was Barabbas or Jesus. Mm-hmm. And today, would we hesitate? I, I don't know how we would to hesitate choosing Jesus over Barabbas. I, you know, just because it's the obvious outward appearance, Barabbas, a murderer, a criminal, Jesus, you know, is the antithesis of that. But Manning says that the, the real choice is not Barabbas and Jesus. The real choice is Caiaphas and Jesus. Caiaphas has hidden behind this the, his good works, the appearance, and the real, the real choice is between the truth of Jesus or the selfish ambitions of of Caiaphas still in the religious external ways that we
1: live out our lives and you know if you uh, go back to uh, scripture who did Jesus have the most problem with Pharisees the religious leaders right the religious leaders and why because they had the power and don't you remember the the Wailing Wall with the with the sinner and the, and the Pharisee? And she said, "God, don't let me be like that guy," you know. And the and the right and the sinner said, "Have mercy on me, oh God." He knew who he was. The Pharisee didn't. Jesus
0: in Matthew's gospel calls the religious leaders, or at least those Pharisees, the brood of vipers. Right. You are whitewashed tombs. You're on the outside, you're all clean, yeah. but on the inside you're uh, full of, of death, full of, of decaying bones. And, and it's interesting that when Jesus, I had, I, I'd like to think that, that there was some purpose to this, that many of the times that Jesus healed somebody, he did it specifically on the Sabbath. Now, maybe it's just the gospel writers just, you know, leaned into those, those more as, as a way to just rub against the, the perceived reality that the religious leaders had enveloped themselves with. They were more concerned about the law, the more concerned about obedience, the perception, the the pseudo religious, uh, external way that they lived their lives, what people saw, than the actual person being healed, and that was phenom- that's phenomenal.
1: Yes, and going back to um, the trial of Jesus with Caiaphas, what was Peter doing? He was denying that he ever right, knew, right. He was confronted, but he denied it. So I never will forget, I don't know where I heard this from, but it, it was a very good analogy. It says, denial is not a river in Egypt. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it didn't. But we all practice that because we're covering up who we really are and we deny who we really are to make us look good. And I think this is what Jesus was uh, telling us in Scripture, is the truth will set you free, but you've really got to examine yourself honestly and come to the conclusion of taking off the mask and truly being who you are. And I'd like to talk about some of the things that Manning talked about in this chapter is about uh, Max, who was in uh, rehab. And very interesting story, and the outcome was uh, absolutely terrific. To make a long story short, actually, Max was a very, very successful businessman, very rich, and he was in rehab for alcoholism. Well, the counselor was quite an interesting fellow. He he really knew what was going on, and he kind of challenged Max on how much he was drinking. And he actually called the the bartender that served Max, and uh, this started unraveling who Max really was and how he was denying who he was. And then he called his wife, and the sad part about it, he, on Christmas Eve, he took his daughter to buy a Christmas present, and and in mid-afternoon left her in the car at 12 degrees and uh, didn't come out till midnight. And she was, uh, they had to take her to the hospital and amputate some fingers, and she was deaf for life. So that was really the breaking point in Max. And to end the story, the counselor told him to get out, that he did not run a rehab for liars. Yeah, His, his
0: quote is, you unspeakable slime. There's the door on your right and the window on your left. Take whichever is fastest. Get out of here before I throw up. I am not running a rehab for liars. But, but think about the way that we do that in our Christian life. Right. I mean, the, the, Brennan shares this story, hopefully, as a way to get us to see that it is possible for us to do this in our Christian life between us and God. The, the chapter is not about what other people think about us. The, the chapter is not about doing the right thing and and living into your faith as much as that first step... Of believing who you really, really are. He says in this, this chapter many of us pretend to believe we are sinners. Consequently, all we can do is pretend to believe that we have been forgiven. Think about that for a second. Yes. We pretend to believe we are sinners. And the result of that pretending is that all we can do is pretend that we believe that we have been forgiven. And as a result, he continues our whole spiritual life is pseudo repentance and pseudo bliss. Biblically, there is nothing more detestable than a self righteous disciple in all of Scripture. Wow. How long will we continue to try to dazzle God? How long will we continue
1: trying to buy God's favor? When we don't need to. That's right. And the prelude to what John just said is uh, there's an ancient Christian legend that goes this way. When the son of God was nailed to the cross and gave up his spirit, he went straight down to hell from the cross and set all the sinners who were there in torment, set them free. And the devil wept and mourned for he thought he would get no more sinners for hell. Then God said to him, "Do not weep, for I shall send you all those holy people have become self complacent in their consciousness of their goodness and self righteousness, in their condemnation of sinners, and hell shall be filled up once more from generations until I come again." God help us! Wow, I think about the men and women of faith in our in our
0: history, uh, not just not in just church history, but. Uh, Even those men and women who have been those greatest influences on our faith, what drew us to them, in my opinion, has been their authenticity, has been their ability to live out their faith in such a way that they are, they're honest with who they are. They're honest with themselves. And there's something about that that just excites me. I remember when I was just starting youth ministry. It was in 1993. It was it was the first time Tommy I got my first real church job. Maybe 94. My wife and I we moved down to Louisiana and uh, we were in Pineville, Louisiana, and we were the youth directors down there. And it was a wonderful church. But I invited this guy named Hughley Goddard to come and and speak, not only to the youth, but to the parents, right? It was probably more for me because... We have uh, men and women who have pioneered the ministry in different factions and sections of the ministry, and they have become the masters in one sense or another. And, uh, you know, if you're an electrician, you have this master electrician that is the top or a plumber or a carpenter or whatnot, and and it was no different for us in ministry. This guy was the master youth pastor, and, and we just, you know, I gravitated towards him, read his books and stuff like that. So I was really excited. The first day that he came down, I took him to his hotel and, and the next morning we came together for some breakfast and some coffee. And I, I had a notepad in my hand and I, and I said, Hewley, I, I'd love to know what it is I need to do to be successful in youth ministry. Those were, that, that, that was my question to Hughley that morning. He leaned back in his chair, he took a sip of his coffee and he, and then he looked at me and he says, John. Let me tell you what you need to do. He said, nurture that spring inside of you that God is doing. Nurture what God is doing through his spirit in you and people will come and watch you overflow. It's kind of what John Wesley said. You light yourself on fire for God, and people will come and watch you burn. Burn for miles around. Relief from this wayward life comes from honesty, rigorous honesty with ourselves. I thought this was an interesting thing that he wrote near the end. He said, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew refers to himself not as Levi or Matthew, but always Matthew the publican, Matthew the tax collector, as a simple reminder to himself of the truth of who he is. We are sinners in need of a Savior, sinners saved by grace. Jesus, his gift on the cross, Paul tells us, was a demonstration of God's love to die for us while we were yet sinners, not perfect, not die for people who are doing good works. And I think that is, for me, the truth that I want to live into this week, Tommy. I want to live into that reality of believing that if I'm going to recognize the magnificent, broad, deep, wide love of God. I must begin recognizing that I'm a sinner.
1: John, last chapter we focused on the love of God. And God is love. And we sometimes have a hard time accepting God's love as we are. But I think the ending to this chapter is you just related. If God accepts us as we are, as sinners, then why can't we accept ourselves as we are? We can't, we can't accept the love of God and live a truly Christian life if we don't admit on who we are. That sets us up to change whatever we need to change. And that sets us into the position that God can work with us but I don't think God is going to work with some person that is masking who they really are, posing, posing, putting they, a filter on. Yeah, I think I think he know he knows,
0: and he still loves us. Why do you think God constantly reminded the uh, Israelites when he identified himself in the Old Testament? I am the God who brought you out of captivity from Egypt. Right. Because if we don't, as Brendan says. If we don't realize that we're captive, we'll never be free. That's right.
1: We'll never be free. It's just like with uh, our, our friend Max. Until he, he got to the point, he recognized and accepted the fact that he was a major alcoholic, nothing could happen. That's right. And that's the way it is with us. And we, uh, we, used, we used alcohol. It could be anything. We could be masking anything. The point is, we've got to live in the reality of who we are. Absolutely. Tommy, the other day,
0: Katie Grace, our seven-year-old, came up to me, and she was out in her uh, playroom, and she was um, playing with Play-Doh and making all kinds of different things with making concoctions of stuff. But she came over to me uh, and had some Play-Doh on a plate. And she says, Daddy, would you like a cookie? And I looked at it and I wanted to tell her, sweetheart, that's Play-Doh. You know, but I knew what she was doing, right? Mm-hmm. She, she was pretending. And for her in that moment, it was a very real kind of thing. It was more of a, a moment for us to play together and be together. And, but let me tell you something, Tommy. I did not pick up that cookie and take a real bite. I didn't. It was Play-Doh. I knew it was Play-Doh, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking about the way he titled, Manning titled this, uh, "Paste Jewelry and Sawdust Hot Dogs. Yeah. They look like jewelry. They look like hot dogs on the outside, but no one in their right mind is going to take a bite (laughs) of a sawdust hot dog, right? No one's going to do that. Just like I am not going to Take a bite of that Play-Doh cookie, right? Exactly. I'm just not going to do it. Exactly. If I can be honest about that, what would it look like for us to be honest about who we really are? It's the same thing.
1: It's an imposter to the real thing. And we and we have to ask uh, God to give us the courage. To sit down and honestly take an assessment of who we are. Amen. Now, th- and that's a painful look. No question. I, that is a painful look. I
0: wish, uh, Tommy, I'll be transparent. I wish I did that more. Yeah. Um, and going back to simplicity and the celebrations of discipline. Yeah. Those happen for me when I do turn off the radio in the car. All right. Those happen to me when I can be um, n- uh, in moments where I have a captive audience with myself. Right. They have a captive audience um, with myself. Exactly. Manning ends this chapter and says, Honesty before God requires the most fundamental risk of faith we can take. The risk is not about being truthful with ourselves, although that is the road to the risk. The risk is that God is good The risk is wondering and believing that God does love us unconditionally. And it is in taking this risk that we rediscover, he says, our dignity, but I say our humanity. To bring the truth of ourselves just as we are to God, just as God is, is the most human or dignified thing we can do in this life. And I would dare to say that that becomes a precursor where the truth of John 10:10 10, 10 becomes real, where Jesus said, "The enemy, the devil, has come to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, until we realize that Satan is the impostor, until we realize that Satan is trying to steal, kill and destroy, we will never live into. What it means to have an abundant life. Not the possessions, no, the security of knowing that God does actually love us and that God is good. Absolutely. Thank you to those of you who are joining us. Whether you're listening on our website, uh, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Amazon, we're glad that you are here. Uh, joining us. We do want to invite you to respond. You're welcome to look into our show notes. You'll see a an email address there. We'd love to hear from you. And um, any questions or anything like that that you'd like to add or ask, we would be honored to uh, hear from you. Now our prayer is that the God of grace and love would surround you with his most intimidating angels and that over the week to come, that you would embrace the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who reveals inside of each of us that we are loved by God. Amen.